Hi, and welcome to Vax Talk. My name is Karen Ernst, and I'm the Executive Director of Voices for Vaccines. And in a moment, I will be joined by Dr. Nathan Boonstra, pediatrician at Blank Children's Hospital in Des Moines, Iowa. Today's episode is a special bonus episode that we recorded live at the National Foundation for Infectious Diseases Vaccinology course in November of uh, this year. You'll notice that the sound is slightly different than you're used to because it is a live recording, but it was a lot of fun recording it. And we were able to record it because NFID made it possible. They flew us out there, they uh, recorded the episode for us, and they sent it to us, and they um, sponsored the entire thing. And so please visit NFID.org for more information about them and to thank them for helping us bring this podcast to you. And now for our live recording. Hello. Hey. Oh, no, no. Okay. Thank Look you so much. Wow. Thanks for that warm welcome. We couldn't have asked for a better welcome. Um, today, we are here talking with you about vaccine messaging. You need to message who you are. Who, who are you? My message about who I am. My name is Karen Ernst. I am the executive director of Voices for Vaccines. And I am uh, a mom who lives in St. Paul, Minnesota. Okay, there's, yay. yay. There, there we go. <laughs> Born and raised in St. Paul, Charles Schultz too. Mm. Um, and I used to be an English teacher for high school students a long time ago. And then I somehow landed in the vaccine world. I have the pleasure of getting to work with Patsy Stinchfield a lot and meeting amazing people like you today. I got to meet Larry Pickering and Walt Orenstein, which is incredible. So that is who I am. And who, who are you, I'm, sir? I'm Nathan Boonstra. I'm a general pediatrician. I work at Blank Jones Hospital in Des Moines, Iowa, and occasionally do vaccine advocacy type stuff like this. Like this. So you asked, what is vaccine messaging for me? It might be different as a pediatrician than right. it is for you as, I mean, we're both parents, but you uh, not as a medical professional. Right, as the voices for vaccines person. So I'm always thinking about in the clinic when I'm talking to my patient, how do I best present the concept, the idea that my patients should be immunized, they should be immunized on time. How can I do that in the way that is most likely going to get, that's gonna end up with a child who's protected against diseases at the end of the visit? Mm -hmm. Um, now that's probably different. That that's different than probably what you would think of when you think of vaccine messaging. Right, right because if I am in a, in the clinic with you and a patient, you're probably going to be wondering why I'm there, since I have no medical background. For me, vaccine messaging is basically how we frame the way we talk about vaccines in public or to each other one on one. Mm -hmm. Um, but really, how, how do we talk about vaccines? How do we frame the conversation? Uh, where do we start? What sorts of things do we say? What sorts of things do we not say? All of that stuff. So that, that is uh, vaccine messaging. And we kind of have three topics here. The first is to point out that we aren't in complete control of the vaccine conversation. To, and then we're going to discuss um, how discussions about vaccines sometimes undermine the goals of public health. Um, and not always in ways that we think. 
And then lastly, we're going to talk about maybe how to have some better conversations, both in clinic and in the general public. And that's something that no matter who you are, you can have better conversations about vaccines. But first. But first. Oh, around the web. This is why I brought notes, because I was like, what is but first? Around the web. <laughs> so each, um, each podcast that we do, we, we pick up something that we saw in the world talking about vaccines on the Internet, because that's where so much of our vaccine conversations take place these days. So Nathan's around the web. Yeah, mine's, a little, mine, mine's more fun than yours is, I think. Uh, so who has kids? Whose kids have, at least at some point, or currently likes Pokemon? So my kids totally do. So, yeah, it's kind of a big deal. And the Pokemon Go and everything out there. So, and who would like to teach their kids more about vaccines or figure out a way to kind of make that connection? Because you guys were really interested in vaccines, so that's like everybody who has kids. Uh, I found this really nice resource uh, and a really fun thing that you can do. So there is through Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, there's this game, and it's a browser-based game. It's called Vax Pack Hero. And I actually had some... Um, uh, like some uh, literature or little cards and stuff sent to my office at one point uh, to take a look at this. And so I pulled it up, and it's just at vaxpackhero.com. It's through the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Uh, I was not able to find the information on who actually programmed it or designed it, and I was hunting for that. So I'd really like to talk to that person because that person has managed to take uh, basically, the idea you can tell it's kind of a Pokemon parody. It's got this kid with the big old like trucker cap and stuff, and he's running around inside a human body and meeting different diseases. But not only are you learning about diseases, the reason it's called Vax Pack Hero is you learn then about the people who develop the vaccines uh, in history. All the all the all of our heroes who have developed. Uh, vaccination throughout history and they're all uh, represented by cards that you then play against these diseases and so it's kind of fun it's very simple it's not nearly as complex it's it's not a long game but something that you can do and actually if you get to a certain score you defeat enough diseases you can then send in and get your pack of cards sent to you from the children's hospital of philadelphia so that's kind of neat so go and check that out the thing that i really love about it because i am uh, among my hats that I like to wear, uh, I, I, I'm a video gamer myself. And so I love retro games. And this, this, whoever designed this really has the flair for, like this has that 8-bit, 16-bit, 1980s arcade mm -hmm. feel to it. Uh, to the sprites and the words and, and, the, and the music, the 8-bit chiptunes and stuff. So if you dig that kind of stuff, go check that out. It's at VaxPackHero.com. That How about sounds, you, Karen? That sounds very cool. That sounds like something I want to tell my kids, science teachers, about. Okay, so mine is not, as you pointed out, not nearly as uh, upbeat. I found this letter on the Internet from a woman named Ginger Taylor. Have you heard of her? I have. Okay. Has anyone out there heard of Ginger Taylor? Oh, you are so lucky. So Ginger Taylor is um, a mother who is convinced that her son's autism was caused by vaccines. And she is a proselytizer of that particular theory. And she is a very um, loud, vociferous proselytizer. Um, so this letter online she posted to give to other people as an encouragement that if they come across someone talking about vaccines online, like, oh, yay, I'm getting my flu shot, that they're supposed to send this letter out 
the purpose of which is really to make someone feel scared about vaccines. So I just want to read you parts of this letter. Do you know that the 1986 National Childhood Vaccination Injury Act has been successful in functionally ending vaccine injury litigation in the U.S. and that there has not been a vaccine injury case before a jury in 30 years? Yeah, Nathan's giving I have me more a face. to say about that. Yeah, you have, yeah, you. Um, and then I, I, I don't want to read the whole thing because it's very long. Um, but she says, I consider it my duty as a vaccine injury parent, that's what she calls autism as vaccine injury, to warn you. The public safety claims made for these products by the government agencies, the medical corporations, and individual physicians are not in line with their official documented positions that admit to serious harm and death and are not trustworthy statements and do not hold up even um, under a minimal amount of scrutiny. Their false claims, including the claim that vaccines have no association with autism, only persist because there is not a mechanism by which they can be compelled to testify and be cross-examined on their claims under oath. So the, the gist of this is um, because we've created a system for parents to receive compensation um, if, or not just parents, but anyone to receive compensation if their children um, suffer a side effect known um, to be caused by vaccines. We've made that easier for them through what's called vaccine court. Her assumption is that because there isn't a jury trial, that there's no proof that vaccines are safe and effective. So in other words, the only way to prove anything is in court. So your comment on that, Dr. Brunstra. You know, the interesting thing that we're talking, that, that leads nicely into talking about vaccine messaging because it's, it's so interesting to me how people will take something that is truly a good thing about vaccines in particular and then try to make it into something that's, that's, right. that they want to scare you with. So it's a really good thing that we have a system in our country that in the cases of a true, you know, those rare cases of, of a true vaccine side effect that leads to a, a poor outcome, that we have a system where somebody, because that is most likely through nobody's fault, somebody can get compensated and get help. And that's not true about all kinds of other drugs and stuff that we have uh, in the United States or not true in necessarily other countries as well. This is a very good thing. We should be proud of the fact that we have set up a system like that. But it can be then used and remessaged and changed. Other things, even talking, you know, one of the great things about this conference was hearing people stand up and be really proud about the fact that, hey, we are now immunizing against this many diseases when we used to immunize against mm -hmm. this many diseases. You put that in the hands of some of these web pages out there and they're like, look at this huge number of vaccines that right. we have and how bad that is compared to this. And, and those of us in this room are like, but yeah, we want to own that. We want to be proud of the fact that we immunize against all these diseases. We immunize better against these diseases than we used to. Right. Um, one of the things we've heard about throughout the morning is the level of attention to safety that these vaccines get. That it is through the entire lengthy process, the entire monitoring process afterwards. Right. All of that is in place for vaccine right. safety. The, the vaccine court is for an entirely different and good purpose, but boy, can, can yeah. some of these pages just twist messages to make it, it seem like something nefarious is going on. 
Right. And, you know, it's, I think we have so much positive, so many positive things we can say about vaccines. One that I think is just incredible um, is the number of vaccines that people are working on right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's and, and working one. super hard on and dedicating their lives to really making something to prevent a disease. That's, that's, that's incredible work. Those people are amazing people. And you put it in the hands of someone who is suspicious of vaccines, and it becomes soon there are going to be 200 vaccines on the schedule because that's how many are in the pipeline. Well, I mean... We're probably not going to vaccinate every single child in the United States against Ebola. But, right, right yeah, so that's some of that messaging that kind of gets twisted. But as long as we're talking about messaging today, I, mm -hmm. I just want to say, and um, the, the audience listening on podcast, of course, can't see this, and you can't see this either, so I don't know why I'm showing it to anyone. But there's this little circle in the corner here, and it says, um, good luck with your vaccines. So she sends like this public message and then has a little snarky, sarcastic, good luck with your vaccines. So, you know, I have a feeling that's going to backfire on yeah. her. <laughs> yeah, good luck. All right. I wonder if we could have a brave volunteer come forward. Okay, Jason, come on oh, up. I mean, brave, gentlemen, Jason, you in the back, job. come Thank on up. Thank you very much. What's your name, sir, who I've never met before? Uh, my name is Jason. I'm, I'm kidding. I met him like an hour ago. So everyone say big round of applause for Jason. <laughs> and um, where, where do you live, Jason? In Dillon, Colorado. All right, Colorado. Are there uh, mountains there? Yes, I live in the mountains right beside Keystone. Nice. Okay. And uh, how much do you follow uh, news and Twitter and studies about vaccines? Uh, quite a bit. Quite a bit. Good. Oh. So this might be easy for you. Good, good. Oh, um, I don't know. So Jason is up here. He is going to be participating in a game. And if he wins the game, he gets a prize. Now, aren't you all jealous that you didn't volunteer? Um, and what I'd like you to do, Jason, is I am going to read you a sentence or two. And I would like you to tell us anything about that sentence, where it came from, um, uh, who, who might have said it, what it's about, any of those things. He apparently needs help. Okay, that's fine. I think that, yeah, phoning a friend, audience participation, all very cool. All right, ready? I'm ready. All right, why don't you read this first one? Oh, okay. Yep. Doctors advocate for immunizations, more parents claim exemption. Where could that have come from? You can be generic about it too. What kind of source? You want me to read it again? The, the voice Please. I used was kind of a clue as to the yeah, here, nature use, use of the sentence. Yeah. <laughs> How about I do it like this? Doctors advocate for immunizations. More parents claim exemption. I would say the, the health departments or the government. It does sound like a government, but ah, <laughs> ah, Jason's wrong. Aww. That was supposed to be in my, like, circa early 1900s news headline voice like you on the film uh, that's okay you get two more chances to get one right so that is from a massachusetts local newspaper and there's a little bit of an issue i think with this messaging and that's that it it uh sort of uh how do you say it it promotes the idea that a lot of parents are claiming exemptions and that might be true but the, uh, oppos the opposite end of that, it balances out by talking about how doctors want people to immunize. 
So we've got doctors on one hand saying, oh, vaccines are great. And that's wonderful. I'm so glad doctors say that. But then on the other hand, we have parents who are apparently opposed to doctors, which is always a dangerous message, claiming exemptions because they think vaccines are not great. So not in control of that message, are we? So we call that false balance. False balance. All right, Jason, this one's super hard. I get to read this one. I picked this one for myself to read. You want to do this one? No, you can do it. Okay. Healthy young child goes to doctor, gets pumped with massive shot of many vaccines, doesn't feel good and changes. Autism. Many such cases. Sad. <laughs> no, it doesn't actually say, it doesn't say sad. sad. It's, the autism has an exclamation point. Sad. I'm thinking just social media like Facebook. Ding, 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 ding. Yay! <laughs> Yes, you got that right. Um, in fact, that was a former real estate magnet. Um, do you want to guess who that might have been? And now president of the United States. Oh, Trump. Donald Trump um, tweeted that in 2014. Here, you want to see that? Okay. That's your prize. So, of course, that's a problem because um, Donald Trump had and continues to have a little bit of a platform and is promoting something that is demonstrably untrue. Um, of course, I think since, I, uh, to give credit where credit's due, since he has become president of the United States, I don't think he has said anything negative about vaccines. No, I mean, there's been all kinds of rumblings about the potential for him to start some kind of commission and people have said that this, that he said that, but nothing really has come of that yet. Right, um, so just that, that one tweet that, okay. Now this is going to be something completely different. Do you want to read that, Nathan? Adversomics, a new paradigm for vaccine safety and design. What is it, Jason? Repeat that. <laughs> Adversomics, a new paradigm for vaccine safety and design. Do, do, do. Anyone want to help? Anyone have any guesses for Jason? Phone a friend. Phone a friend? <laughs> It was my very serious scientific voice. So scientific what voice. Scientific voice. Science. Guess that. Guess that. Journal? A journal. <laughs> How'd you know, Jason? Yay! This is actually a study. Um, for, I don't know what the name of that journal is that I just realized. Expert Review. Oh, vaccines. expert review of vaccines. Um, uh, Dr. Gregory Poland from Mayo Clinic is one of the authors on this. I, I'm naming him because his name is often used by a certain anti-vaccine doctor. Actually, you're, you're thinking, oh, that's a, that's a, that's, what is that? That's just the name of a study. How is that, um, how is that vaccine messaging we're not in control of? Um, who has heard any news? Maybe Jason has. Um, in the news, there are two cases in Michigan two divorce cases where one parent does not want to vaccinate and the other one does. One of the cases, yeah, raise your hand or clap. Let's clap if you've heard of that. Okay, Jason says he follows the news, but he's looking at me like, I have no idea what that lady's talking about. Um, in one of the cases, the ex there was an expert called to testify, and this expert was a doctor by the name of Dr. Tony Bark. She practices in Chicago, Illinois, and um, she is now, she used to be, a physician, she is now a homeopath. Do you know what homeopathy is? I do. It's literally <laughs> just water. And so she, or, or as uh, my favorite description of homeopathy is that it's the air guitar of medicine. <laughs> 
Um, so she claims to be an expert in what she calls adversonomics. Yeah, it was pronounced differently. Yeah. But she claimed that uh, Dr. Poland is the person who invented it, and now she's an expert in it, which basically means that she's an expert in doing air guitar on people who think that everything that happens is because of vaccines. So um, it'll be interesting to follow that case. Apparently, there's going to be another expert revival on November, in, in mid-November. So we will keep following that. So everyone, I th what do you think? Do you think Jason got one right? He gets a prize? Yes, absolutely. All right. Yes, this. Oh, hang on. Here, you, you say what these things are. Oh, well, what we have here is a lovely T-shirt that says, Ask Me Why I Vaccinate. And? And, wait, there's, oh, On Immunity by, I've never tried to pronounce her name before. I assume it's Eula, Eula Biss. Fantastic. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. And Give it up for Jason. Yes, thank you, Jason. I just want to also say that anyone who's interested in any of our t-shirts can go to our Cafe Press store at cafepress.com. Oh, I get my own. Cafepress.com slash voices for vaccines, F-O-R, vaccines. All right. So um, there are a few ways that vaccine messaging can go off course. And the first way is that a lot of times what we try to do is debunk myths. Yeah. And that can be in person. That can be, yes. Debunking myths. I'm glad someone's shaking their head. Like Who that. likes to debunk myths? Clap. Yeah. So if you're like me, like literally debunking myths is actually fun. I, I have so, and I think Karen and I both have a love for the show. Adam ruins everything for that very reason. Has anybody seen that show? It's wonderful, basically myth debunking show about a whole variety of things. But there's something about debunking myths that scratches a part of our brains and makes us feel like, yep, we're solving a puzzle. We're getting the right answer. We're gonna fix this you know there's that classic i think it's the xkcd cartoon if you've ever seen it with the stick figure and he's at the computer and off screen somebody's like honey come to bed and he's like no i can't there's something wrong on the internet or somebody is wrong on the internet and you want to fix that but that is not necessarily shown to be effective when it comes to vaccine messaging right actually they've shown um that it can have a sort of a blowback effect i've got the wrong study here we go a blowback effect. So this is a study by um, Zachary Horn from the University of Illinois at Champaign, 2015, that saw that. Um, I'll just read this from the results. Although presenting participants with evidence that there is no link between vaccinations and autism did not lead people to form even the stronger, even stronger anti-vaccination attitudes. This manipulation did not meaningfully alter people's attitudes about vaccines. So you debunk a myth. Do vaccines cause autism? No, they don't. See, look, but da 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 right? We all know why vaccines don't cause autism. But then, after you've done that... Well, there, I think there's two aspects to it, because there's the one aspect that we have a tendency, once we believe we have something right, we, our brains really don't want to change that very much and so being presented with facts to an individual allows that individual like that individual has a tendency to dig in more rather than to relent to facts it not you know obviously every individual case is different but on a like a population level a good hunk of those people maybe a majority of people when presented with facts that 
that that directly challenges their beliefs dig in and find reasons to not believe those facts and we've seen that in other areas that we can probably think of um, the other aspect to it especially depending on the context that you're doing the myth debunking if you are just like if I'm gonna as a person who does a little blogging a little social media I'm if I get onto what limited audience I have and say vaccines don't cause X and this is why this is the reasons why I have probably not convinced anybody who already believed that vaccine cause X that they don't cause X. And I've just introduced the idea that somebody thinks vaccines cause X to a wide audience of people who didn't know anything about X and vaccines. So you have to be very careful about messaging. It's not to say that debunking can't have its uses. Right. You know, there are situations where people need evidence, people need it over time. That evidence that ha that has to get out there. We can't just ignore when, you know, when the whole thing came along of the myth of vaccines and autism. You can't sit and ignore that. You need to be able to have the evidence to uh to handle that. Mm -hmm. But the messaging is important. Right. And a lot of it has to do with especially if we're talking about our social circles and who we talk to, a lot of it has to do with presenting the facts first instead of vaccines don't cause X the message off the top should be vaccines are safe and effective vaccines have been tested a whole lot uh, vaccines uh, are shown to um, you know have better outcomes with kids uh, for these various things not only the diseases but just all kinds of other kind of side uh, benefits that we talked about earlier today the positive messaging is paramount Mm -hmm. And if you paramount, and if you uh, are going to debunk a myth, you really want to start with the fact: vaccines. Uh, vaccines. You know, vaccines are good. Go ahead. Yeah. I was yeah. going to say vaccines. Children who are vaccinated are no more likely mm -hmm. to have a neurodevelopmental um, outcome that's different from children who are not vaccinated. Mm -hmm. And then sandwich in the facts and the debunking that you want to do, and then end with the positive message. Always end with that because that's like the last thing everybody hears and that sticks in their brain. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the thing I think about debunking when it really comes in handy is when you have a parent who is tending toward vaccinating but heard something scary and wants some reassurance. And that's when debunking the myths is really helpy, help, helpful. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, if, if you're working with a pop, you can do that with a population level too. If you have a population of parents and they tend toward vaccinating and you know that they do and you have to speak to them or you have to get messaging out to them, some debunking can help. I think one example where that's often helpful is with the flu vaccine that, you know, a lot of times this time you hear, you hear departments of health saying the flu vaccine can't give you the flu. Um, and I, I don't think that does any harm because I think when you're talking to a population level, people who generally vaccinate, people who've been hearing that they need their flu vaccine, that that's helpful for them to hear that to encourage them to get a vaccine. Yeah, and in situations where they're coming to you, and, and the people in this room, we are by and large people that are looked up to when it comes to information about vaccinations, um, that's a different story, of course. And you have personal connections and the people that you know, they want to know your opinion and they value your opinion. So that's kind of a different thing. But still always, even in those situations, that positive messaging I think is the most important to get in. You know, you make that kind of debunking sandwich. Positive message that you're trying to make about vaccinations, the myth debunking, and then positive message. So I want to talk a little bit now about ways to 
uh, form better messaging, especially to groups of people outside of, of the clinic? Because I know that Dr. Offit's going to do just an amazing presentation tomorrow. I hope you all attend about how to handle anti-vaccine parents or handle vaccine hesitancy in the exam room. But when we're talking about parents in general, oh, sorry, podcast audience at home, you weren't here to hear Dr. Offit. Um, you should come to the vaccinology course next year. <laughs> <laughs> but I... Uh, one of the things that I find really helpful is something called social norming. And in fact, I want to do an entire podcast episode in the future just on social norming, but I want to touch on it here because that's how passionate I am about social norming. So this is the way I describe social norming. I, and then I'll tell you how it applies to vaccines. So um, how many of you have ever seen a movie in a movie theater clap? Okay, so some of you. Okay, not you. Um, how many of you have ever been to a live theater to see a play with live actors? Who, yeah. Um, one of my favorite live theaters is in Minneapolis, the Guthrie Theater. It's beautiful, yeah. um, even though the seats are uncomfortable. And it yes, has... especially to a six-foot-five man. Oh, it's just they built an entirely new theater and made the seats equally as uncomfortable as they did in the 1960s. But even in college, when I saw Midsummer Night's Dream there, I was a six foot five inch man and yeah. it was not comfortable then. Yeah, no, I'm five foot three and it's uncomfortable. So <laughs> I can't even imagine. But so the Guthrie Theater is, is they do amazing productions. Um, but one of the other things I love about it is that you can get treats at halftime. And then, um, yes, I call it halftime. And then you can bring them in with you and actually eat while you're watching the play. Here's where a movie theater and the Guthrie are different. When I leave a movie theater, a lot of times people leave their garbage everywhere. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah. Um, but when you leave the Guthrie, no one leaves their garbage anywhere. And really, the only difference, well, there's lots of differences, but the main difference between a movie theater and the Guthrie is that the people are on a screen or the people are alive in front of you. Um, there's, other than that, it's you're sitting in a seat, you're watching a thing, you got treats, you got goodies. So why, why the difference between a movie theater and a live theater? Well, this is where social norming really comes in. You don't do it because you're expected not to do it. You're expected not to leave your garbage when you dress up and look fancy and go out and you're in polite society and you are watching live theater. You're expected not to leave your garbage around. Whereas in a movie theater, ah, kids, just leave that there. There's someone paid to clean that up for you, which, by the way, I don't do that with my children. I'm like, clean up no. your garbage. I don't care who's cleaning it up. But it's just this social expectation, this cultural value. And the same thing actually applies to vaccines, that the more people around you who vaccinate, the more likely you are to vaccinate. It can become a social value. And we can form messaging around that that makes it a social value. We, and, and this is where I want to talk a little bit about an amazing group of moms that we have in Ithaca, New York. Is anyone here from upstate New York? Wonderful. It's, I, it's a beautiful area. I love upstate New York. Mm -hmm. Um, so our parents in Ithaca, we have four moms, they're amazing, um, and they go around and they just do social norming, and they don't do any debunking. If someone wants to come up to them and argue about vaccines, they just don't. They are the physical embodiment of vaccinating, and one of their main messages is that Ithaca is immunized. In fact, that's the name of their little group. Ithaca is immunized because it emphasizes the social norm of vaccinating. I, I just want to read you some of their 
messaging that they use. And it's really local, and it's really specific, and it's really positive, and it, it hinges on social norming. And I think that the local aspect is important, because you might hear some of this and be like, I don't think that would work with the parents in my area. You really have to know how parents in your area operate. Parents in Ithaca pride themselves on being very smart, on being scientifically savvy, on caring for each other, on having um, you know social uh, social conscience, all of those things. And so that's why these mes messages were formed for them. The first is that vaccines are supported by doctors, scientists, and researchers from all over the world, and enjoy a greater degree of scientific consensus consensus than global warming than global climate change does so that's a thing that's very important global cl climate change is an important topic in Ithaca and emphasizing the everybody agrees and it's just like this other thing that's important to you is it really helpful for them to hear Ithaca parents care about people who are vulnerable to illness so they vaccinate to protect the newborns the elderly the cancer patients and those who can't be vaccinated in our community so that's kind of an we're all in it together not all communities have that strong sense in fact a lot of people a lot of parents have been shown to not be any more likely to vaccinate if they are told that it's for the it's for the good of their community but for Ithaca that's important and then finally, many of the ingredients in vaccines are things that we encounter through the course of natural living. So the word natural is in there on purpose because Ithaca is a little crunchy, a little natural living, yeah. And, um, and, and just also talking about instead of, you know, the ingredients are scary or there's nothing wrong with the ingredients in vaccines, talking about how they're normal and how having a vaccine with these ingredients in it is normal. Um, any thoughts about social norming? I have very little that I can add to that. I mean, that's <laughs> one of the best things in terms of vaccine messaging that I've ever heard. And so I think that's fantastic. I mean, one of the things that we, I feel like every podcast we hit on this beat, which is that it is important to, so for all of us who aren't part of a grassroots movement like that, um, we can still normalize immunizing by simply the fact that you post yourself and your band-aid when you get your flu shot and you say I got my flu shot this is important uh, I you know I'm so happy to work in this place where we're immunizing kids I'm so happy that we can now immunize against this disease that kind of a message you can post that to your you know to Facebook you can post that to your social networks you can say that kind of thing in, in person you do not have you guys are all you know by virtue of being here, you guys are um, educated or becoming educated about more nuances when it comes to vaccines, more of the science. But you do not have to know all the science to be able to say statements like that. And yes, you might get people saying, you know, maybe on you know, friends of yours might challenge you a bit. You don't have to debunk. You can say, I hear you. I really have, you know, learned a lot about this and learned about how much the, the science as well as the experts support immunizing, and I'm going to go with them. That's really the only response you need to very much in terms of people, you know, pushing back or, put, you know, even if they post links to whatever website says this or that or whatnot, you can say, you know, I, I see your websites. I'm going to go with these reputable sources instead that say that immunizing is safe and effective and a good idea unless you have a contraindication. That's the basic message. You right. don't have to go you know, back and forth and back and forth. 
That's, yeah, that's, that's very true. And I think that, you know, kind of going off of what you were talking about, the flu vaccines, one of the things that I always encourage parents to do is to absolutely be public about your celebrating the you know, newfound immunity that you just gained through vaccines. Is I mean, it's it's amazing, isn't it? I'm, I just, I at this conference, we're sitting here listening to all of these incredible things that are going on from these like, super smart people, like Walt Ornstein right here, who's just amazing, and Patsy Stinchfield, and Larry Pickering, and so many amazing people who are so smart and, and all the amazing people in the world working on vaccines and it's exciting and I love it. And so we should really publicly celebrate that. One of the ways that Voices for Vaccines does that is through our Why I Choose gallery. And parents, especially this time of year, people go and they get their flu shots and they take their Band-Aid selfie and they send it to us. And you can find that at voicesforvaccines.org slash gallery. But it's, it's exciting to have people who are so happy about getting their flu shots. And I've noticed that year after year, CDC runs similar com campaigns and nurses who vaccinate run similar campaigns, that year after year, more and more people are automatically taking selfies and putting them up without even being prompted to do that, right. which means that the norm has become to talk about getting your flu shot which is exciting that the culture has changed around flu shot that it's sort of like a public thing that you do and that people are very happy about protecting themselves and their communities against flu so how wonderful is that it's exciting yeah. should we move on to yeah let's yes. move on so we wanna, we've got about nine minutes left, I think, here. And we really want to hear from you about your questions or comments or experiences with uh, vaccine messaging, you know, especially if you have a particular experience that you've gone through or, or a tricky spot that you're in or something that you're interested in doing. We'd love to hear about that. So there's a microphone there, and there's a microphone there, and your voices are beautiful, and I'm sure that the mm -hmm. people at home want to hear you. So let's see. Any questions? So hi, I Hello. am Alicia Stillman. I'm from Michigan, and I am the director and co-founder of the Emily Stillman Foundation. I am here with Patty Wukovitz, and she is from New York, and she is the executive director and founder of the Kimberly Coffee Foundation. And our foundations are very similar in that we each lost a daughter to Men B five years ago, and we met through that loss. And we both advocate for all vaccinations, but in particular, the new Men B vaccine. I find all over the country, in fact, all over the world, many people think, um, as we did at that time, um, they have the false assumption that their children, their young adults, are protected with the quadrivalent, the Men ACWY vaccine. And in fact, our daughters were not protected. They contracted Men B. Mine was in college. Patty's was still in high school and, um, and died. And so we hope to um, save other people from experiencing that loss by educating them. We have a new um, initiative that will be coming down the pipeline in December called MAP, Meningitis B Action Project. And we're very excited to take that out to colleges, to universities, to hospitals, to the medical profession, and um, raise as much awareness as we can. Thank you so much. And wait, before you sit down, um, can you just give the websites for the two organizations? Sure. Um, www.foreveremily.org and www 
KimberlyCoffeeFoundation.org. Yep, C-O-F-F-E-Y. Yes, C-O-F-F-E-Y. Okay, thank you so much. Um, so I just want to say a couple of things about that. First of all, um, Alicia and Patty are amazing people, so thank you for all of the work that you do. Um, I think that these stories about disease are really critical messages because I think a lot of parents don't understand what the diseases are. I know I have never seen measles in my life. Um, I've had chicken pox, but I don't remember very much about it. I wouldn't recognize it. Um, you know, I was really young. I really, I can't say much about it. I certainly have never seen polio. Um, so these diseases can only be made real if we hear the real stories of parents. And, and that motivates not just parents who maybe don't feel like vaccines are important because, you know, what, what's measles, what's polio, but also parents who um, are happy to vaccinate their kids can talk about, um, can talk about how, you know, to their, to their friends, you know, hey, this is, I'm, I'm really glad that my child's vaccinated. I, I heard about Emily Stillman and her story, and her mom is brave and powerful and amazing, and, you know, so don't forget to get your meningitis B shot for your kid, too. And so, you know, it's not just to reach parents who are hesitant, but to reach parents who are not hesitant and to encourage them to start that conversation with other people, especially around a vaccine like meningitis B, which has the um, category B um, yeah. recommendation. Well, that's why Patty and my work is so important, because many people think, well, it's not going to happen to me. Mm -hmm. You know, I hate the word rare, um, mm. but it is less common than some of the other illnesses. And so they think, well, that can't happen to me. And then they meet Patty or they meet me, and they say, God, she's just a mother like I am. If it could happen to them, it could happen to me. And Absolutely. that's the message. Um, that we really try to put out there. Absolutely. So thank you so much. That's a... My name is Chandra, and I'm from Virginia, and I do work in a pediatric clinic, and we do have parents that refuse because that's not important. And so we go into questions of why, do he, why does he need Menatra HPV? Mostly I get it with teenagers. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, they're fine. And so I go into, this is what it helps prevent as a nurse. That's my duty to <laughs> teach. And then, oh, the doctor didn't say anything about that. But the doctor ordered it. Mm -hmm. So mm. how can we how yeah. communicate that? Yes. <laughs> so messaging of adolescent vaccines is a topic of itself that I could and have, like, talk for an hour on. Um, the... The biggest take-home points that I make are making sure that the whole staff, uh, that, the, that the provider and all of the clinic staff, uh, the nurse, the, the people at the front desk, everybody is on the same page, that you have done actual meetings and had consistent messaging, which is going to be when a family asks about vaccines at their adolescent visit, their 11-year-old visit, what do we say? What's our script? That kind of needs to all be on the same page so that those situations don't happen. But the provider needs to be, the provider should be the one doing that explaining. And whereas what you don't want is a situation in which um, either the provider or the nurse or someone in the staff is presenting vaccines as if one, often the HPV vaccine, is less important than the others. And we're trying to directly avoid that. We really want a consistent message.
Are, what I find with the HPV is that they're offering it, oh, it is available at the age of nine, but I like to give it more at 12 or 13. Right. And then once 12 or 13, remember you documented you were going to give this 11, 13, you know, 12, yeah. 13, they're 13 now. Yeah. Oh, we'll wait till he goes to college. Right. Yeah, we always recommended at age 11, and because for several reasons, the the um, the other vaccines that are in Iowa, we have two other vaccines that are required for school entries. So we have that touch point with them every time at 11 or 12, because to go into seventh grade, you need these vaccines. So they're going to be coming in. That is when. You know, I really do try to get that. If you're coming in for those two, I'm going to present that HPV as just as important. And I really don't want the, to give the implication that there's kind of wiggle room in my recommendation. I don't think that this is a vaccine that we should wait on. Uh, so I'm going to present it, and I always sandwich it in the middle. So I'm always like your child. My MO is always to talk to the teen or preteen and let the parent listen. So I always talk to the, to the tween about um, what vaccines they should be getting that day. Uh, and it's your, I, I think you should get the Tdap because it protects against these diseases and these are nasty for these reasons. I think you should get the HPV vaccine because it prevents a, uh, cancers in both males and females and anything we can do to reduce your risk of cancer, we want to do. And I want you protected against, and I want you, to, and I want to immunize you against meningitis because that is a potentially fatal uh, bacterial disease. And you have, I always say, you have a great brain. I want to protect that brain. I, this, these are the uh, the vaccines I want to give you today. Uh, do you guys have questions about that? So trying for that really um, uh, consistent messaging and that strong recommendation, I think, is key. The the studies are really interesting when we look at providers and um, their recommendations and their perceptions of parent uh, beliefs about vaccines. Providers think parents are more hesitant than, uh, providers think parents are more hesitant than parents actually are when it comes to adolescent vaccines. And there's some research on that. I don't have a slide to show you, but there's great um, uh, graph on, on that, on some of that data that shows that, like parents think that pretty much all the adolescent vaccines are important, including flu and including HPV. And then providers think that parents think that HPV vaccine isn't super important, uh, but that's not how it actually shaked out when they asked the parents. So that, that's the biggest take home points for that. There's all kinds of other nuances to talking about adolescent messaging of immunizations that we could go on if we had more time, which we don't. We don't. We're actually, we're at 1230. So uh, before we go, um, thank you for that question, though. That's a great. Yeah, one. that was a wonderful question. Before we go, I just want to mention that uh, again, this was recorded. It should be live on Tuesday, we hope. So you can find the recording at vaxtalk.org. Also, you should go ahead and take out your phone and open your podcast app and find VaxTalk, V-A-X-T-A-L-K, and subscribe and then leave a five-star rating. That's a really good thing for you to do right now. <laughs> we have, um, you know, we've started it at the beginning of the year, and we've had some fantastic guests. We've gotten an interview, including Dr. Offit. Right. Um, and Patty. And Pat, yep. And, yep. Absolutely. So, yeah, we've got a great, um, we've got about uh, 10 episodes backlog that you can listen to. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you to the National Foundation for Infectious Diseases for um, bringing us out here and for sponsoring this podcast. We're really grateful to you for that and for this wonderful vaccinology course. You can find me at uh, voicesforvaccines.org. My name is Karen Ernst, and I am the executive director of Voices for Vaccines. And I'm Nathan Boonstra. Find me on Twitter. My handle is 
Peds Geek MD. Find me on Facebook. I've got a little Facebook page, and I also have a blog at PedsGeekMD.com. Thank you very much. And scene. Thanks, everybody. That was fun. Thank you so much. That was a lot of fun.